Restaurants Unstoppable episode 478 with Rick Shikitano. These guys and gals that visionary, visionary wise know where to go. I'm following their path more than these folks that have been analyzing and marketing the hell out of it. Not that that's not important. I just have seen one side be more successful than the other. Plus, I get energy being around visionary people. I get energy seeing creativity like that. I get energy from brand builders. I don't get energy from, you know, MBA folks trying to overthink the, the, the process. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing time and money saved that's sorcery sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase ap accuracy say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval see terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest rick shikatano rick are you feeling unstoppable I'm feeling good man pumped up excited to talk to you guys <laughs> yes let's do this so rick shikatano is a restaurant executive with a core philosophy that better food wins every time a forward-looking brand leader with experience spanning operations marketing design and development food manufacturing, and supply chain. Over the past 25 years, Shikatano has worked with growth-oriented organizations such as Which Which Superior Sandwiches and Corner Bakery Cafe. Today, Shikatano serves as managing partner at Food and Drink Resources. Uh, I can't wait to dive into your story, but before we do that, let's get this motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us, Rick? Listen, at the end of the day, um, my quote is all about better food wins every time. You know, when you walk into a restaurant and you walk into any kind of brand that, because remember, our, our role, my job today is we work with restaurant brands. You know, my, my day to day activity is helping um, hotel and restaurant uh, operators look at their brand and make sure they stay focused on what really matters. It all boils down to the food. So, better food wins every time when a lot of time restaurateurs are trying to figure out, you know, why are people not coming to my restaurant? What's going on with my traffic trends? And, you know, how do I kind of fix my business? It gets back to something I learned a long time ago, man. It's all about the food. Better food wins every time. And if you don't focus on that, the rest of it just doesn't matter. Awesome, man. Great way to get this thing started. So let me ask you, where did it all start for you? Like, when did you know that you're going to be committing yourself to this industry? So I grew up in an Italian household in the coal region of Pennsylvania, right? And, you know, being around aunts and uncles and everybody that was cooking, I had a natural curiosity to be in the kitchen. So at a young age, I was chilling in the kitchen. In school, I took home ac. I didn't take shop class. So I kind of knew early on that there's this, I get this energy from being around food. You know, I went to school to try to be a meteorologist. Uh, that didn't work out very well. I always had this energy and this drive to go back into food. So I, I kind of went into the culinary arts. So I knew at a young age, it was all about food. You know, at age 14, 15, I was cooking the holiday dinners, um, you know, with a little bit of shepherding and spiriting from my aunts and uncles. But God, before I was driving a car, I was working a chef knife and I was working saute pans in the kitchen. So go deeper, Rick. When you're in the kitchen with your family, learning how to cook, uh, as you're growing as a, into a, a young man, what was it really about cooking? What was it, what was it about this act that really resonated with you, that saying to you? 
You know, that, that's interesting because I'm not a, I'm not a book learner, right? I'm a vocational learner. You know, my mind is more of a mind mapper. I, I kind of see images and concepts and things. I'm not a linear thinker. And I think being around food and it's, you know, palette of a white space where it can create what you want. And I just, everything about it just was perfect for my creative side, my mind mapping. Um, I connect the dots in the kitchen very quickly. The idea of what it means to saute and how to properly saute, or the idea of, you know, thinly slicing things versus, you know, coarsely chopping things and how they're going to react in an oven roasting situation or a saute pan. Those kind of concepts and ideas became natural to me. I didn't need to read recipes in a cookbook. I could look at the ingredients and somehow inherently just put them together, or I can put them together differently than how the cookbook said, and I think I did a better job at it. So, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm a prodigy at this stuff. That would be ridiculous. But it came very easy and natural to me um, versus, you know, Englishes and maths and other types of sciences and arts, which really were a struggle. And I get energy from it. You know, beyond the social aspect of being next to either my wife or my kids today or my aunts and uncles and my mom and dad when I was growing up, you blend in the stuff that's easy, something I'm getting that, that I, I, a bunch of energy and I'm really jiving with and I'm socializing with my family. That's a magic recipe right there. It's almost like, you know, in a way, because when it's funny, when my parents used to go away for the summer, they'd leave me alone foolishly in the house for like two, three months at a time. And I'd have some of the most raddest parties in my house, right? We'd have kegs of beer. We'd be butchering meat. <laughs> we'd be steaming clams. So it's like, you know, the guy in the kitchen was the DJ and everybody's hanging around there. And I just kind of dug it. Yeah, so it was my safe spot, my my happy place. And just listening to you talk, you know, it's kind of like the underlining message that's in there too. That, um, well, two messages, and I'll just kind of throw us out there and bounce it off of you. I don't think that people go out and uh, find their passion. I almost think that the passion is almost given to them when somebody recognizes that they're good at something and they reinforce that that positive behavior. Would that happen for you? Was there somebody in your life that was like, "Damn, Rick, like you're good at this, man. Like you should." Can you think to a moment like that, or were there multiple? No doubt. Well, yeah, not a very young age when I had my my aunt Catherine look at me going, "Hey, you're pretty good at this." Yeah. turn, you pause, you look up and you go, really? You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, your mom comes home. She goes, I ain't cooking anymore. You're cooking. So then, you know, the girlfriend's <laughs> saying, man, I'm coming over to your place. We're cooking and you know, you're cooking. So yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, I have a, another weird analogy. I, I, I'm not, a, I, I wanted to be a musician. I'm not musically inclined. I couldn't play, I can't play the guitar. I can't play the piano. Um, but I desperately wanted to play the guitar. I would always say I'd sell my soul to learn how to play the guitar well the kitchen and being on food gave me that pathway because if you're not the guy over in the corner with the cool acoustic guitar you're the guy over in the kitchen cooking yeah you both are on equal ground right there and right you both get a lot of attention when you're good at it that's for sure too <laughs> uh the other thing i wanted to say too kind of on that that note of getting attention and bringing people together uh do you find that do you get a, a joy from actually bringing people together? Is it just, is it the cooking or is it the result of cooking that does it for you? Yeah. Well, no, I, th- I think it's, you know, if, 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 cause some people, some situations are awkward, right? If I have a bunch of strangers coming around to my house or I'm at their house or something more or less at my house, it's easier for me to be in the kitchen doing my gig and everybody's casually standing around the counter with a glass of wine or a beer or something, as opposed to those awkward moments where you all go out to a restaurant and it's a more formal setting. So yeah, I think, being in the kitchen kind of removes all social um, pressures. And I believe, and I know it just kind of lets people be people. It's Mm. the most humbling place to be. It's the most basic fundamental place to be. I think I, I socialize better. I enjoy socializing with people with a cutting board in front of me, you know, I'm working the saute pan or being the, you know, working the grill outside my patio out in Texas. I've got, I look like Mick Fleetwood out there. I got so many grills out there. I'm like, I'm banging on a whole, a bunch of drums. So yeah, I just think that element, that theater and that comfort place for me just makes the whole social scene um, real. I dig it. And you said one more thing that I really want to kind of hover over before moving on to uh, how you started living intentionally. You said that you're not a linear thinker. And I think that, oh, first, what do you mean by that? Like, precisely exactly what you mean by that spreadsheets an excel spreadsheet blows my mind linear (laughs) just a b c d e listing things lists straight down a row right my mind doesn't work like that if for me you know i have a concept and i'll draw a circle around it then i'll put a little shoot off to the side and i'll have a thought on that and i'll put a couple you know scribbles Uh, off to the side of that so my kind of mind maps and doesn't go through the linear process that's just how i've I think 
that's why I'm a vocational learner and not a technical, you know, school learner, a textbook learner. This was kind of a self, a selfish question just because I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a dreamer. I'm a visionary. I have ideas. Like my, my brain works in ideas and like bubbles all over the place. Uh, and I think that people like you and I, this is a real challenge. We need to sometimes be more linear. We need to put all these ideas on, on a path, on a chronological path and say, this is most important. Like if I want to get there, like all these things have to happen. So have you developed any systems for yourself? Any things that you've done to better live intentionally that you can share with us? Uh, yeah, it's very low tech. Um, <laughs> I have to write things down yes. and rewrite them. Mm. A pad, if our video camera was working, I'd show you, I literally have a bind, a small notepad. Um, and if I, you like, if I have follow-up, I can't, t- if I type it on a screen on the computer, I don't memorize it. But if yes. my fingers write it with ink on a piece of paper, I have a much better memory recall. Mm-hmm. I know I've got to do it. So I have to take all these thoughts and I have to then scrub them through a filter and I've got to line item them out, put a task list together, do this, do that, do this. Oh, um, I love and it. I have no doubt all the bells and whistles, my phone's got reminders going off and I try to oh, throw man. tech at it. But at the end of the day, paper and pencil works for me. Yeah, there's some great tools out there. I, I, I'm right there with you when it comes to memory. If I need to memorize something, um, I like when I was studying to be a commercial pilot, I would lock myself in the library for hours on ends, filling out white pieces of paper, writing the same thing over and over and over again. Like I would have like 20 pages stacked of the same thing written over again. And that was the only way I could memorize things. But I'm right there with you with lists. I use Workflowy. I mean, because I can carry that everywhere with me, my phone or a computer. Have you heard of any like of those those apps? Or are you using any of those? I've apps? heard of them, but they they have no interest to in me because okay. I just I've, I've tried them. Right, it's like ugh, it's just another yeah. mouse trap. I don't need. Yeah, it. you got to do what works for you. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's kind of move it forward to when you are now fully committed to this career. Do you know? Is there a moment where you're like, okay, like I'm going to be a chef, or I'm going to be working in restaurants, and I'm going to take this action to start getting in that, like moving in that direction? When did that happen? Sophomore year in college, I was studying to be a meteorologist. I walked into um, a professor. I walked into class, and one of the professors says, "You know, hey, Mr. Chikatana, how you doing? Yada yada." And we're talking about money and salary. And he goes, "You know, meteorologists don't make more than thirty-five or forty grand a year." And I stopped in my tracks. I'm like, "Really? I'm making more than that right now in the kitchen." So it was just that tipping point for me that I'm like, "Hey, the, the that science, even though I wanted to look up in the sc- the stars and you know probably smoke weed and watch the sky a lot, at the end of the day, the kitchen was where it was at, and that was my tipping point." So I called up my dad. I said, "Hey, I'm going to bail here on university. I'm going to head up to the CIA in New York, get my culinary degree, and that's where the tipping point was." And I've I've been working in kitchens since I was 14. You know, even through school, through high school, I was always, I always had money in my pocket. I was always cooking. I I just, I've been doing it now again, almost what, 30 some years. Oh, beautiful. So um, after the CIA, actually while in the CIA, can you draw on any big life lessons during that time from any mentors at the CIA, at the CIA that you can share with us? Um, mentors, not so much. The CIA was, it's a, it's a factory. They, you're on an assembly line, you go through and, you know, you can make some connections with some people here and there, but at the end of the day, I didn't, I don't have any mentors I go back to in the CIA, just a lot of good foundational learning. Um, you know, they give you, they give you the foundation. They don't, they don't prepare you to be in business. They just kind of say, Hey, you're going to, you're going to learn some of the basics. But what I did learn at the CIA, um, because while I was getting my culinary degree, I wanted something that was different. So I started working in bakeries, artists and bread shops and pastry shops. And I really rounded on my career. And I found out that this mind mapper in me actually does well when I work with a structured thing like baking. Mm. Baking is very precise. It's measured. It's more of a science to it. So I've got this part where if you look at my career, it actually in the balance is more of a baking career than an actual cooking career, even though I did both. So I kind of learned that my sharpest tool is my baking side, um, specific to bread, not even pastry, more than it was cooking in the kitchen, even though I did it all. So that was kind of an aha for me. That yes. I, that's, and that's how I pursued the corner bakery career, because when I left the CIA, I was part of the founding team to create corner bakery back in the 90s. So I leveraged that into what became a big stepping stone for my career. You just touched on a huge point, something that I think is really important for all of us to understand, young or old, we haven't figured it out yet. Uh, find your niche, find the one thing that you can be really good at and lean into that. It's like a doctor or a lawyer. They're not generic doctors or lawyers they're specialists and if you really want to excel in a vertical you got to be really good at one thing you can say the same thing about a restaurant concept being really good at one thing any thoughts on that 
Yeah, and that's actually going to come up probably a couple of times in an interview because my, my role today with my, myself and my partners here at, at, at FDR, we work with a lot of brands and we work with older legacy brands, work with newer brands who are trying to figure out where they're going to go. And that line of, you know, find your niche and focus and leverage and do what you do well, that's a mantra that you have to a lot of times remind these brand leaders because they start their concept and they're kicking it and they're doing well and their sales are growing and all of a sudden sales take a, a turn. And they want to start going down the path of a different food and change who they are. And how many brands wake up realizing, oh, man, shit, I went down the wrong path. That's not me. So stay focused and be true to who you are. Mm. You know, there's a reason certain chains out there just do really well because they don't detour from who they are. Mm. So whether it's you as your career or you as a restaurant restaurant chain, you can't be all things to all people. And that's a hard, you know, it's easy to say it's hard to practice. Real quick before moving along that chronological path, what is the one thing we can do to stay on brand, to, to stay close to who we are? How do we stay on track like that? Um, don't forget that. that um, okay. I'm going to give you a phrase here. It kind of will get the point across. Yeah. Listen to your consumers because you know, operators left to their own devices get further and further away from their guests. So you don't want to be listening so much to what the operations is telling you. Cause they'll always say, Oh, I want it simpler on a quicker. I want it faster. That's important. But you know, if all of a sudden you're you're making an item that in the back of the house takes 30 minutes or 45 minutes to prep and, you know, your operators are saying, oh, this is too hard. It takes forever and this and that. The guest doesn't care. They don't care it takes 30 minutes to prep. They just know it tastes good, right? Mm. So I think that's a lot of times you got to remember, listen to what your guests want. That's the point. You know, when all of a sudden you're kind of confused on who you are, go out and listen to your guests in your restaurant. You know, there's a famous quote where Howard Schultz, and I'm going to paraphrase, it was at Starbucks. You know, he was talking about cons- Consumer insights, and he wants to know what the consumer says, but he doesn't like doesn't trust consumer research because he has to go in the field and hear it for himself. So the best best chance is go back to ground zero, go back to what got you there in the first place. Listen to the people walking in your restaurants; they're the ones who are going to give you the real truth. You know, you don't want to be smoking your own dope and figuring out what's wrong with your brand. <laughs> awesome. So you do you said that you didn't really have many mentors at the CIA, but you did that, learn that that lesson about yourself, your niche. Um, Going forward, when you graduated from the CIA, are there any key points uh, during the come up, during the, the, the phase of you developing as a professional, any key roles, any key moments in your life you want to touch on before we kind of dive into your experience with these really well-known brands? Um, no, uh, no, they'll come out as we talk. You know, again, you're going down the path of no mentors at the CIA. An interesting comment about mentors, though, because I can certainly sit here today, 30, 35 years later, and point out two or three of them. But the funny thing about mentors are you don't know it at the time. Mm. You don't sit there and say, I'm going to meet my mentor today. Yeah. You know, but all of a sudden you wake up five years or 10 years later, go, man, that person was mentoring me. I didn't realize it. You don't, you don't really connect the dots because it's really an informal relationship. It's, a, it's an ad hoc relationship sometimes. You know, sometimes in some organizations, they try to throw people together as mentors. Big structured organizations want senior executives to help mentor the young folks. That's not organic, man. You want the organic stuff. Yeah. That's where it matters. Okay. Uh, so real quick, when you graduated CIA, what year was that? So I can just kind of put like a chronological, chronological. 89, I finished the culinary side and 91, I finished the baking side. Okay. So 91, what was your first job? Was it at the corner break bakery or were there people? Yeah. So, okay, so I was, when I was going to the CIA, I was working at an artist and bread bakery outside of Woodstock, New York, me and a bunch of Rastafarians making ours, artists and bread and selling it in New York city. And it was funny because it was a summer day. I already graduated living up in the Catskill mountains in New York, me and my black lab. And my dad came up and he's looking around and he's looking at my apartment. He's like, okay, it's time to get moving. Let's go. It's time to get on with life. Right. And I was cool, you know, skiing and fly fishing, the whole deal. So one afternoon, um, summer, one rainy day in the summer, a French guy came into the bakery. He was selling equipment. And I was talking to him, and he gave me a lead on an oven and some equipment he sold in the city of Chicago. So I hopped in the car, drove out to Chicago in the middle of the summer of 91, and met uh, the folks at Letters from Retainu and the folks that were starting Corner Bakery Maggiano's. And one interview led to another, led to another. And fast forward a few months later, October of 91, I left upstate New York. And I was part of the opening team for uh, Corner Bakery, which is attached to Maggiano's at the time. So let us entertain you, Maggiano's. These are some really great names in the industry. And I mean, oh, yeah. like, they're, they're big boy names. People no got to climb the ladder to get on on you know these 
these teams. So you were lucky. I mean, I'm maybe lucky isn't the right word. I don't know if things no, are lucky. It's the right word. It's Was absolutely it? right okay. Yeah. We're blessed. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's got to be so many things you learned about business right away, getting into or getting on a team like this. What What did you learn immediately from this team? Well, you don't, it's interesting because, you know, growing up on the East Coast, you're not really familiar with Lettuce and Retainia as much, especially a lot of guys and girls coming out of culinary school. Lettuce and Retainia wasn't back in the early 90s nationally known. It was huge in Chicago and it became bigger after that. So the funny thing was my first interview when I met Richard Melman in uh, November of, actually, I'm sorry, August of 91, I never heard of him, Right. But believe me, soon after I got back to the, to the back to the East Coast and talking to my buddies at the CIA, they're like, man, you met with who? And I'm like, really? Is that guy like big time? And they're like, yeah, dude, he's big time. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'm getting anxious now. So I didn't realize at the time, that's the naivete I had that, you know, I'm out there meeting with managing partners and chefs and, you know, going from Maggiano's to Cafe Barbariba to Bub City to all these restaurants to meet people. And you don't, you don't realize until you look in the rearview mirror and say, holy crap, look at the opportunity in front of me. So the biggest learnings, they don't come just one day. It's really the, the sum of all of it, right? You know, after the first, after the first three, four months of opening the bakery, which started as a little bread bakery in an open kitchen for Maggiano's, all of a sudden when Rich walks in, he goes, man, this is going to be its own brand. This is going to have a life of its own. You know, you're sitting there three months into it with your hair on fire and the place is exploding and, and just bust, busting with business. And you've got this industry icon sitting there saying he's got this vision in his eyes where this thing's going to go. Yeah. All you do is hold on tight and get ready for the ride. Oh, you know? man, that's exciting. And, but there's, I think, a lesson in that alone real quick. I think a lot of people, they have this grand vision of their restaurant that they want to create someday. And they go straight for that restaurant immediately. Right. But even people like Richard Melman started someplace. They didn't start with that grand vision that they had. They started where they could. And like this concept, this bakery started as a, a side project, a side hustle. And then you scaled it from there. And it was almost like a pop up kitchen in another restaurant like let's test this concept uh and see if it if it sticks is was that kind of what was going on maybe or am i am i swinging and missing what was happening here no no you, it's easy for me to sit back all these years later and say it i didn't see it at the time i'm standing there in this one shop on the corner of clark and grand with lines out the door and sales just screaming you know sitting here and how do you get through the day and i got to bake bread and we got wholesale business and all this and this visionary comes in and he's like, man, this is going to live beyond the corner of Clark and Grand in Chicago. This thing's got a national play. So I didn't see it at the time, but guys like that see it, right? Okay. So that's when you just, you know, you, you're, you're, you're luckily in a very good place. You're in a sweet spot. And all of a sudden you hear about the second store is going to open, then the third store. And now we're going to Virginia. Now we're going to Atlanta. Now we're going to Southern California. And as a young guy in my 20s, all you sit back and say, sign me up, man. Let's keep going. So, you know, it was it was baptism under fire of the learning of how to grow and scale a restaurant. So any like big nuggets, big nuggets you want to take from your time, uh, 91 uh, to I think it was you were with Brinker for a little bit. Any time during the the Let Us Entertain You days um, that you can just extract a big lesson. One thing you took from that time that you can share with my listeners. Yeah, it goes back to that statement I said, you know, you got to listen to the gut, the consumer and the guest. That's the one thing I can always go back to what I noticed about Rich and the way Lettuce operates. You know, they 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 really are about, they, they just identified what the need is and they stayed focused on what the, what the brand was built for. It's all about food, you know, because back to my statement, um, when they create a concept and when they work on a concept, their first meeting is what's the food going to be? Their second meeting is what's the food going to be? The third meeting is what's the food going to be? And I think by the fourth meeting, they say, where should we put it? So it, it really is a lesson of it's about the food, stupid. Don't overthink it. it you, you make great food. Any, anybody that's killing it today, is doing it with good food. And good food doesn't need to be high-end gourmet. Good food could be one hell of a piece of fried chicken, right? Yeah. So just, I mean, food is the anchor, man. Don't lose sight of that because that, that's what make those, that makes those guys magical. They just happen to finish it off with great design, great decor, decor, great service models. You know, those are all table stakes at that point. Okay, so eventually you find yourself uh, in 1996 with Brinker. Uh, what restaurant concepts were under this umbrella at the time who were you who were so you with when Br- brinker was a was a we you know own chili's macaroni grill cozy mel on the border um Eatsies, and i may be missing one and that's when they brought corner bakery magianos into the fold which at the time in 96 nation's restaurant news called it the the dream team right brinker and let us coming together so we were um the italian concepts rolled under brinker um i think we might have at the pine 
my time been kind of a sister concept with Macaroni Grill, but I, entity wise, that doesn't matter. But there was a lot of other brands. It was a portfolio brand at the time, which we were the new kids on the block. Mm. So what was going on in this during this time between? 96 and 2006. I mean, honestly, that's a, that's 10 years to try to condense in one or two big lessons, but I want to leave, you know, time to talk about corner bakery cafe and, um, yeah, the headlines, the headlines are easy. It was all about growth. Brinker purchased these organizations for growth. You quickly realize that Magiano's is one brand, Corner Baker is its own brand, and they're each going to have their own paths, their own development schedules, their own management teams. So there was really no, no, um, no relationship between the two anymore other than a history back to the 90s, but they're each on their own course. So it was a lesson of, um, you know, and, and let me add this, this level to it. You know, Corner Breaker was one of the original fast casual concepts. Nobody was using that terminology back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the first time fast casual was put in print, but if anybody argues that Corner Breaker wasn't the first three or four of them, they're lying to themselves. Because, uh, you know, that's where Brinker was, has their hands on these casual dining concepts. But Corner Breaker was fast casual. Again, not calling it that at the time. So it was a really interesting time for 10 years to see how a big power like Brinker um, scales and grows and how they work with this fast casual brand in a restaurant space that's trying to figure out what is this thing they call fast casual. You know, prior to that, you had QSR, you had casual dining. There was really nothing in the middle. And fast casual, what gets what gets inserted in the middle of that? So that was an interesting time to just see the um, birth of this space in the in the industry, to see how people define it, to understand who the consumer base is. You know, QSR folks are trading up to fast casual. Casual dine folks are trading down to fast casual. So it was just a very um, good time for me to kind of be in the front row to everything. Again, I wasn't leading the brand, but I was reporting to the leaders. I was right there. I had a front row seat to everything. Innovation, marketing, uh, real estate development, you know, growing here, demographics and growth and where our market strategies are going to be. And, you know, everybody in a way was kind of cutting our teeth on this because in the mid nineties and the late nineties, no one really had their hands around this thing of fast casual and what it could be because it was new. It was like technology, right? What's it going to be this year versus next year? So it was an incredible lesson of learning um, and being around a lot of smart folks. And just that's where I probably have had a few mentors over, over the time that I didn't realize it until years later. Well, like you said, you had a front seat going through this process. Uh, get granular, get specific. Give me one lesson, one thing that made you a better professional, a better person that you can drop on us. Um, sure. And this is going to sound like a slam to my marketing uh, counterparts, but in the, you know, in the, in a sense, what's interesting, it goes back to food, right? And everybody's always striving to find out what is the next consumer need. And the, one of the things that I really do believe to this day, and I will argue till my last breath is that, you know, the culinary arts and the culinary side of the business can't be driven by in the restaurant space by a marketing deck, by a bunch of consumer research. I've seen, and this is the this is the the, the the takeaway. I've seen a lot of brands go out and do a whole bunch of research and spend a whole bunch of money on marketing. Says we should do this. Think new Coke. Think Crispani Pizza at Panera. Right? Colossal failures. But I've also seen marketing work actually work. Be it delivers. Right? This was a sales driver. And if you take a scorecard to how many times all these heavy, heavy marketing studies and consumer research projects were done and the success they had, and you match that against a good restaurateur, a Rich Melman, a Sam Fox, you know, um, a Phil Romano, these guys that their instinct, their gut Mm. tells them what to do. These folks, these visionary folks are right more times than the marketing decks are right. So I like following and listening to founders and brand creators and leaders that inherently and instinctively know what the brand should be doing that don't need a marketing deck to do it. I am suspect of marketing material because it's an interpretation of an interpretation of an interpretation. And I'd rather go right to the source and listen to what the Melmans of the world think we should be doing because I got news for you. They're right more times than they're wrong. You said they're following their gut, but what else are they following? Is there something else underlying that they're following that they're staying true to? No, uh, well, I think in that word gut has a lot of other attributes that anchor them. What um, are those attributes? Well, I, I, you know, there's the need there's, they, they have a really good 
um, they've connected the dots, and this is just me kind of spitballing here. So when they, when I, they say they speak from their, they, they, they come from their gut, their gut is telling them this is the right thing to do. And there has to be a natural process that says, this is the need. I'm delivering on the need because my consumer said so. I'm standing here watching the consumers use my space or my brand or my experience, and they seem to be smiling and coming back and frequenting my business. I think their gut just inherently puts all of these attributes together. And, and I'll, give you, I'll give you, I'll tell you why it's hard to, to, to find this. There's a book, um, Malcolm Gladwell has a book and he talks about, um, oh, what was, it's not Tipping Point, it's one of his other books. And it's a book on how just certain people innately know when, what's right. You know, there's an example of this famous tennis coach, right? He would be watching tennis players play. And while the, the, while the, 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 the tennis player was in the middle of their, their, their swing, while they're about to serve, before they even struck the ball, this guy could sit up in the stands and tell if it's going to be in or out or if there's a fault. He just saw something that you can't describe, right? So I think these restaurateurs just have these, these um, things inside of them, kind of like the Jedi have, microchondria, whatever that is, you know, those things that Jedi have that just tells them that this is right or this is wrong. It's something that God touched them with or they're blessed with. I can't explain it because I don't have it, mm. but I've seen enough of it to say these guys and gals that visionary, visionary wise know where to go. I'm following their path more than these folks that have been analyzing and marketing the hell out of it. Not that that's not important. I just have seen one side be more successful than the other. Plus I get energy being around visionary people. I get energy seeing creativity like that. I get energy from brand builders. I don't get energy from, you know, MBA folks trying to overthink the, the, the process. So I'm going to throw some Malcolm Gladwell books at you just because I want to make sure I link to this book in the show notes. Is it outliers or blink or the uh, blink blink? Okay. Blink. Um, blink is that's it. That's the one blink is a bunch of examples of just how in the blink of a moment in the fleeting time of a fleeting moment of time, People just know this is the answer. This is it. And it's unexplainable. So Blink is, I think, I think if Blink was going to have a, a second edition, they should talk to guys and gals that create brands like this and write stories about how they make decisions because you can't necessarily um, put a, 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 a Harvard business case around explaining how it just is. Man, I'm loving this conversation. I want to reflect real quickly before moving on on what you shared. You said that uh, these restaurateurs that listen to their gut, right? And there's some other things going on there, the words you use. I think it's emotional intelligence. I think the best marketers, the best visionaries in these worlds are appealing to the emotions of other people, understanding what people want, what understanding what people need to be happy, under, understanding how to just serve other people. And then they're following that. They're, they're, they're following the thing that uh, just really pulls at the, the, the strings of the heart. And that's a, a thing that some people just have or they don't have. And I think that's what they're following. They're, they're following. Yeah, you, you're right. There's the tension because you, you can use this. I'm, I'm going to back you up on this because there's this what's called 49%, 51%, right? And whether or not you're looking to hire a, a manager or an employee or a teacher or a professor, or whatever, or you're one of these restaurateurs with these incredible visionary and, and forward looking skills, some people, you know, you're looking at somebody who has the 49%. That's the technical aspect to do the job. The 51% is the emotional quotient to do the job, right? And I think folks like this, you know, they have the 49% of how to run a restaurant. I got to put an accountant and a controller in place. And I got to have a marketer and a PR agency. But man, this 51%, that's the stuff that you really can't define. That's the stuff that's just, it's just out there. It's in the personal cloud. Yeah. And we don't put enough emphasis on the, the gut feeling. I think a lot of people think, oh, don't listen to your gut. Your gut's not talking to you. That's your brain talking to you, sending a message to your gut to give you a feeling. It's, it's your brain. It's the low road of your brain. Yeah, fair enough. I, you can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't argue with that. Yeah. So listen to it because uh, it's not your, your, t your tummy talking to you. It's, it's actually your brain talking to you. So, okay. Uh, I can't believe we're already at 40 minutes of recording, man. Uh, time <laughs> is going by so fast with you. I'm loving this. So any big lessons from your time at uh, Superior or sorry, uh, Witch Witch Sandwich or the Corner Bakery before I kind of you, I'm tempted to almost get you back on the show, man, because I'm really loving this conversation and you have a hard stop. Uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to you sent me three bullets that you would be interested in talking about? Um, we can. Oh, don't worry about those. That. Those are those are just pitches. Don't don't sweat those bullets. I've got things rattling around in my head. We can we can do another one around those bullets if they interest you. Let, let's stick. Yeah, to man, because you're great, man. I'm loving this conversation. So uh, we're at 40 minutes. Let's spend 10 more minutes talking about whatever your heart sings to you. Anything you want. To talk about right now let's just go there you said you had ideas floating around your head and then we'll wrap up the speed round 
You got it. So, you know, by my time, what's interesting is I spent 25, exactly 25 years at Corner Bakery. Um, and it was just time to get out. I had to move on. And it was a great life lesson because I came in as um, an executive baker and, a, and, and, the, and one of the head culinary guys. And I left there one of the top three, four people in the company in an executive role. So it's an incredible journey to say, hey, this is a guy that used to have a chef coat on. And fast forward to now this is someone that's actually responsible for one third of the company's P&L because I was managing all supply chain and risk management strategies. This is a person who's responsible for food strategy. This is a person that's had a front row seat to, you know, helping lead the brand and reporting right to the CEOs. So that 25 year career, I couldn't have asked for anything better. I met my wife at the corner bakery. She was the original manager. So I was the original baker. She was the original manager back in Chicago. It gave me my personal life. Um, thank God it did because if I not hadn't met her, I'd probably be dead or in jail by now because I was living a pretty pretty hard life. But no, I think that whole that whole journey is one that's prepared me for where I'm at today. The stint through which which was really interesting because I, I love leading brands. I love being around people. I like leading teams. I like building things. Um, but then when my partners here at FDR said, hey, man, let's take what you do on the road and let's kind of combine our talents here at Food and Drink Resources and go help restaurant brands use our experience to help them do menu innovation, to touch their consumers, to work with their kitchens, to work on efficiencies, to improve their business models. You know, I, I, I really do believe the last 28 years of my life has prepared me for what I'm doing now because I you know, I can walk into a meeting with any operator, any brand leader I'm going to meet with right now, and I've either walked in their shoes or I understand exactly where their head is at. I've lived their life. So it was it was a cool journey. Glad to be part of it. And I think it's prepared me for what the next round is going to be. I do know when I'm done with this, my final finale is I'm going to go teach somewhere at a community college or back at the CIA. My last role is I want to teach and give back and uh, just hang out in an academic environment and just teach. But isn't that like the natural progression? Shouldn't that be what we're all striving to do is to be a teacher, to be a mentor? I mean, isn't that like the, the one thing we owe the world is to take, to take everything we've learned in our life, doing the one thing that we do. That it our, yeah, that's what it's all about is it's to pass it on. That's what this podcast yeah. is From about. From your so. kids to, yeah, you, you know, that's exactly right. Life is about passing it on. Absolutely. We got, I mean, we, we're in debt to all the people that came before us, right? And the only way we can pay that debt back to them because of the, what they gave us, the knowledge they gave us, the the you know, the the blood, sweat and tears they had to go through the, to give us what they know to be true. We got to build off that and then pass it on. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. That's why we are who we are as humans. I mean, 100%. Um cool. So, one other thing you mentioned I want to dive into. You said one of the things that you loved at Witch Witch uh in Corner Bakery was the ability to lead teams. So, what did you learn about leading teams? Uh, you know, not everybody's born to lead people. There's some folks that are just destined to be individual contributors. Um, and there's some folks that just have a natural knack to build teams and get the best out of teams. And I think my, my uh, this is going to maybe sound a little selfish or self-serving, but I'm really, I'm not good at anything <laughs> other than realize what my weaknesses are. And I surround myself with people that are better than me, right? Oh, when all of a sudden you look around the room going, okay, she's better than me at this and he does that and she does this and he does this. All of a sudden you sit back on, now I just got to kind of coach this and, and this like a symphony and bring it together. So I think one of the benefits of good leaders is realizing not just being a servant leader, but that you're not the smartest person in the room. And you're actually better when you surround yourself with better and smarter people than you, because it's amazing when, you know, you sit back and I had a great team of that, the purchasing folks and the supply chain folks and the culinary team and the QA team and the marketing team. And when all I really have, not all, but when the major role was to make sure that they're all kind of singing from the same hymn um, or hymnal, um, that to me was the magic. That's the balance. I don't, I've seen a lot of leaders be poor at that, you know, good people, you can't get good good work out of good people if you just don't have the right leader coaching them and course correcting them. So I just naturally took, uh, um, I just naturally understood it. I, I dig it. I like being around the room and I like problem solving. I like when the shit hits the fan. I like when there's a lot of shit going on. It keeps me up and it keeps me motivated. <laughs> you know, it, a boring day for me, man, I, I, my I, idle time is not good for me. So um, just to reflect on the whole, you've got to surround yourself with people who are better at certain things than you are. I mean, that's what Jim Collins is talking about in Good to Great. I believe it's in that book, or maybe it's another one of his books. Uh, Was it Good to Great? I think it's good to great. It was uh, uh, good to great. Probably it wasn't yeah. a great call. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it, that's what he's talking about when he says, you know, get people on your bus and then get them in the right seat. Not only is, is the bus 
as a unit better when everybody's in the right seat. You, you work better as a unit because everyone's leveraging their strengths, but people feel like they're being recognized for what they're good at. Back to what we said at the very beginning of this interview, like when you recognize people for what they're good at, that feeds into their passion. That makes them that feeds into their higher needs of self-actualization of having a purpose. It's so yeah. powerful. Uh, we, we don't give it enough t- attention. The other, the other part that's important is that I don't, I think, I don't know if, I don't believe most folks practice this, but there used to be this philosophy that you'd identify people's strengths and you'd identify their weaknesses and you'd give them a development plan to help them improve their weaknesses. That's bullshit. You know, you identify somebody's strength, you let them focus on their strength. If that's their weakness, don't waste any time trying to correct their weaknesses. It, it, that, as you as a manager, that's not your role. You know, you don't put a development schedule to say, I'm going to make your weakness a strength. It's not how they're wired, right? I recognize that's a weakness of yours. I, I like you on the team. I'm going to compliment the team for somebody to, to, uh, to shore up that part of the, of, of, the, of the discipline. So I think that's another philosophical difference of how some leaders like to understand people's pluses and minuses and help them with the minus. No, man, focus on the plus. Get the minus solved by somebody else. Awesome, man. Before we go to thank our sponsors, I just want to get one failure from you because we can learn so much from failures. Uh, can you think of a time you fell hard on your ass? This is a question I used to ask all my guests. For some reason, I got away from it. And I kind of want to bring it back because I think it's a great question. Uh, well, I mean, I made what's interesting is because you're asking me because you, know, you talk about decision making, right? It's okay to make the wrong decision. You don't want to make bad decisions, right? Because um, at least you want somebody making decisions. So I've made a lot of wrong decisions how many bad decisions have I made? I mean, I've made some things that have cost the company's money, you know, a bad decision for uh, supporting a certain campaign or going down a certain path with something. I mean, but those are just parts of business and growing. Um, but if I done a colossal failure, where I fell on my ass. So re- I, the, the reason why I asked this question is because we can learn from our failures. So is there one lesson that you can think of a, a failure that you learned something from that we can extract a lesson because of this? Uh, yeah, I'll give you, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the names and, and things yeah, out of this, absolutely. but the, there was, there's the, the, the part of the business, parts of, of marketing campaigns. That's not my strength. Right. And I had at the time, someone in the marketing department that was reporting to me that I gave a long leash to go do something. And I trusted that they had a plan. The plan had a big investment and the investment was going to pay off. And about three months into it or two months into it, I can tell it was going to be a colossal failure. Couldn't do anything about it. Things were bought, things were purchased, whatever. So it's one of those that, that I let someone do something that I didn't understand. And that was, you know, maybe it goes back to something like Warren Buffett. He won't invest in anything that he doesn't understand. I, you don't want to let folks have a long leash on something you clearly don't understand because I wish I would have stopped. I wish I would have went to more folks in the industry, more colleagues in the industry and shored up my ignorance. So I trusted somebody, it burned us bad. And had I been more experienced at this particular part of the business, I probably wouldn't have green lighted it in the first place. So if there's a big void of information, you're letting somebody, um, you're letting somebody mind, you're letting somebody blindly go do that because you're the blind person in this act. Don't do it. Mm. Um, stop, hit the brakes, and go for yourself, because especially if you're responsible, and go shore up your learning on it. A quick example would be, you know, if you got to teach something to somebody and you don't know it, you're going to learn pretty damn quick, right? i got to teach somebody how to saute. I better go <laughs> learn how to saute. i got to teach somebody algebra. I better go learn algebra. This is one of those examples that you better go understand it before you let some folks go down a path that you, to you is a dark hole that you don't understand. Yeah. And listening to you speak, I can't help but think of the whole trust and track management style where it's good to trust. Like you did, you extended that trust. You gave them that leash to do their thing. You got out of the way so they could shine. But at the same time, I think part of the tracking process is to do the initial like preliminary educating yourself of that topic. Uh, so you can better track I got to be more versed to what it was. I, this was like, okay, go, you're speaking Chinese and go do it. Cause I yeah. trust you. I should have learned how to speak Chinese at that point. Awesome. This was, or this was, this has been, and will continue to be a great conversation. We need to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right 
back. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. (laughs) Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks that stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 6683006691 mention restaurant unstoppable and receive 10% off your first 3 months and say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with sorcery ap automation we're back rick the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success um I, I have a knack to get it quickly. I can read an audience um, and I can connect a dot very fast. So whether I'm sitting in a very high level C-level meeting or I'm sitting there in the kitchen with folks, whatever the issue, the conversation, I quickly can kind of connect the dots on what's going on. And I have real big experience I can bring to be part of the conversation. So I'm really good at reading things and understanding the conversation, the situation and, and processing quickly where I need to fit in or not fit in. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, taste buds. You know, I'm not a super taster and I was not blessed with the world's greatest tongue or palate. I often find myself in cuttings, um, thinking I wish I could taste the things these other people are tasting. So I wish, uh, I wish taste buds were, were a strength of mine. I, being in the culinary side, not having, a, not being a super taster is a, is a little bit of a disappointment for me. But I also jokingly will tell you another big weakness for me is I'm often wrong, but I'm never in doubt. All right. What? is one question or thing you look for when you're building your team, a question you ask or a quality you're looking for when you're doing the interviews. Uh, are people smiling, smiling and looking me, looking me in the eye. Mm, it's that, that simple. simple. I want to see some, cause man, it's all about smile, confidence, looking in the eye. And then I have other little goofy things. We ask questions like if I find out they're a big animal lover, Oh man, you got big pluses in my eyes. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you look at me, smile at me and you tell me you love animals. Oh brother, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the world. (laughs) What is a current challenge today? How are you handling it? Uh, You know, it's interesting. So my current role today, it's something we were talking about earlier. It's, you know, working with brand leaders and working with concepts to say, Hey, what's your niche and reminding them and challenging them to stay true to who you are. That's our biggest challenge because so many restaurants are struggling today and so many leaders are panicking and shooting from the hip on what they want to do. Hey, I'm a, I'm a burger concept. I want to put stir fry in here. That makes no freaking sense. So, you know, it's those examples of guys, listen, we're trying, you hire us to come in and make your brand better. We're going to give you our point of view. We're going to give you suggestions, but I can only take you to the water. I can't make you drink it. 
So in the end, our biggest challenge is trying to convince folks to listen to some of our recommendations and be true to who you are and don't let your brand fall off the rails. It's, it's sad to see some of these brand leaders just not know what to do and not take some of our advice or some of our competitors' advice and blindly go down a path that, you know, you can read about at Nation's Restaurant News a few a year or two or three later, there's a big failure and there's a new management team going in to clean it up. Yeah. And one just like side note on that, uh, it's so much easier to show up every day being who you are than trying to be something people think you think people want. Uh, and when you are who you are, people who really do incredible things in this, in this industry are just being them. Like they're just, they're working on who they are and they're just trying yeah. to be the best version of themselves every day. And when they exactly. do that, that's when, that's when magic happens. Um, yeah. Sorry. just, I had to, I had to tap into, onto that. Um, all right. Share one code of conduct or behavior. You teach your team or taught your team. Uh, you know, um, okay, I got one for you. Listen, don't wait to talk. Mm. I don't think we need to say anything. That's else. it. Yeah. What okay. is one uncommon standard of service you taught your team? So these are things that were standard in your operations regarding service, but weren't standard within the industry. I'm going to give you a cop out answer. Smile more. Nobody's smiling these days. A nice, bright, smiling face, a shiny, smiling face in a restaurant operation, a front of the house, back of the house, whatever. Man, that means the world to a lot. Yeah. I think it's, I just think there's not, there's not enough happy faces out there. Yeah. And one other thing too, smile with your eyes, right? I think people just put a smile on because they're told to sometimes, but when you smile with your eyes and you, you connect with somebody, eye contact and smile with your eyes, man, it's so much more powerful. Can you experience yeah, that's that? That's why it goes back to the interview and you yeah. can't train somebody to smile. If you, you it's your, if they're not smiling after you hire them, you didn't do your job right in the interview process. Mm, I love it. Yeah, that, that should be a box on the interview. Do they <laughs> smile? Do they smile? Do they smile naturally? Yes. Right. Oh man. Yeah. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner or operator? A simple read. Um, there's a bunch of them out there and I'm, I'm a fan of the Malcolm Gladwell stuff just because it's interesting and Freakonomics is interesting, but I'm going to give you one. Um, Lincoln on leadership. It's a small, quick read. And the takeaway for Lincoln on leadership is one of the practices was, you know, Lincoln would um, oftentimes, if he didn't like something or he was going to be correcting or reprimanding somebody, he'd write a note, he'd put it in an envelope and he'd stick it in his pocket. And he wouldn't give it to that person or mail it till the next day. Because then after he slept on it, he may rip the note up or he may then mail it. And in our industry, there's a lot of times you want to say something today that maybe you'll regret tomorrow. So there's nothing wrong with you know, the old analogy of write a letter, put it in your pocket. That's an acronym for saying sometimes sleep on it before you comment. Great. Uh, share an online resource or tool. This can be an online magazine, another podcast, or a place you go uh, to just, uh, I don't know, learn about anything. Uh, uh, I mean, she's Amazon Prime is a great place, <laughs> man. We're, we're trying to find weird ingredients. Amazon Prime is, is the best. Um, I, I got one. It's a functional one. Maybe folks have already done it, but there's a, 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 a website, it's not sexy, called AquaCalc, and it's the most accurate conversion of things. You know, what is a cup of this way or a, you know, a pound of that way or a conversion? So many times we're working with domestic and international suppliers and different ingredients, and a lot of times we have to convert recipes. So we, I trick up on a site called AquaCalc, and it just seems to bail me out more times than not. And that was just a goofy little example. If you don't have it on your, on your quick read, and you're in a kitchen and you're trying to do conversions and you're working with weird ingredients, things you don't have access to, it's a great resource. That's aqua count, like aqua, the water kind of aqua? Aqua hyphen C-A-L-C, I think it is. It's, Got it's, it. If you type that, it's, it's just, it's a conversion website. That's all. Got it. What's one piece of technology uh, that you maybe when you were in the restaurant, I don't know. It wasn't too long ago that you're still working in the restaurants, uh, a, t a technology that you adopted in the restaurants, whether that's front of house or back of house that really had an influence on operation, efficiencies, communication, profitability that you can share with us. A good timer. <laughs> what timer did you use? <laughs> uh, the simple little disposable timer in the kitchen, man, whether it's stuff in the fryer, stuff on the grill, you know, hey, you got to get this prepped in 15 minutes. I'm setting the timer. I'm coming back. You know, there, too much technology is becoming uh, an inhibitor in the restaurant. Sometimes it should be an enabler. Mm. But at the end of the day, a good timer in the back of the house, man, it, don't underestimate the value of that. And when I asked what, which timer you use, I think I heard the quick little disposable one, but you broke up a little bit. Uh, can you just say that again? Yeah, that quick little disposable one that you could have a box of them in the back. So when it breaks or gets lost, <laughs> 
you got a bunch of them. They're like, you know, you got 10 of them in the box. Did it's you that order them by the box? Magnet. Oop, you there? Yeah. Did you order them by the box? Yeah. You order them by the box. Yeah. Cause what? they go through them like candy. I want to like, I want to be able to, to link to it in the show notes. Can you, uh, is there a way, is there a place you went to order those or did you just do it straight through your supplier? Oh, I'd go to somebody that worked for me and I'd say, go more, order more of these. <laughs> <laughs> right. I had good people on it. <laughs> uh, okay. This is the last question. It's a doozy though. So get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would they be? So at the end of the day, it's not about business. Nobody gives a shit about it. It's not about what you've done. You know, building a brand is nice and all that. It's about just be who you are, be real and be who you are is number one. Mm. Um, Have no regrets in life and be nice to animals. No regrets. So it's about being real, being true. Be who you are. Just have no regrets and be nice to animals. I love it. Those, if I could, if I can say the world is a better place because people listen to those three tenants, uh, listen, how many people in life are doing something that they don't get energy from? They're not happy about being who they are. That sucks. Don't do it. You know, this has been great. I've loved this conversation. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one professional, somebody you admire in this industry, preferably, uh, an independent operator owner that you'd like to call out to be a future guest in the show. Uh, oh, I didn't think about that one. So who would be a good person to talk to? Somebody who's just uh, crushing it in the industry uh, that we could learn from as an operator or, or owner. Christina Tozi. Mm, Christina Tozi. T-O-S-I. She's come from uh, Momofuku Milk Bar. She's got... Uh, she's on um, TV too, blonde. Uh, yeah, she's yeah, 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 she's yeah. I, I've reached out to her before, but now I'm going to try again. I have a reason to try again. So look out, Christine. I'm coming after you again. A friend of mine. <laughs> a friend of mine makes cookies for her, so oh. maybe maybe I can maybe I can get a, a way. I don't. I'm not no promises. I don't know if I can, but right. boy, if you can get her to talk, oh, man, man, she's killing it. I'd and from it. what I hear, she's she's what this industry needs. Beautiful. Um, all right. So before we say goodbye, just let us know how can we connect if we want to follow your work. You do offer services. Uh, what If you want to maybe let us know about where you specialize, if we want to come to you for some help, what's the best way to connect? Sure. So at uh, well, food, uh, so we're a company called Food and Drink Resources. So our website is foodanddrinkresources.com. It's the shortest thing you're ever going to type out. I'm being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> but FDR, we're, cul- we're, cul- we're chefs for hire. We're a culinary agency. We work in kitchens. We work with marketers. We help innovate. We help create. We do menus from legacy brands to new aspiring brands all over the world. Um, and if you're looking for any kind of inspiration, we're a good, talented, scrappy, small culinary team. We're well-traveled. Some of us live in Colorado. Some of us live in Texas. Some of us live in Southern California. Um, no project is too, too big for us. We get it. We can handle it. And uh, if you want to follow us at Food and Drink Resources is where you want to go at food and drink resources that will be in the show notes. This is episode 478. Uh, so that way to connect with Rick will be in the show notes, a link to all the tools, services, and books that were recommend today's conversation will be in the show notes. Again, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 478. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your advice. There is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. Outstanding. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Man, Rick Shikatano, what a great conversation. Uh, I'm I'm recording this right after uh, we hung up just because I want to ride that wave of energy that you put out there and some really great advice in today's conversation. I think for me, the big advice in today's conversation is just be true to yourself. Listen to the world around you. It will give you clues. It will tell you where you belong. People will tell you what you're good at and just listen and then lean in to these little clues uh, and become a person of value and focus on a vertical, focus on a niche and just just own that niche. And then what you'll find is over time, uh, as you become the best at this thing, uh, people will naturally gravitate towards you because you have a certain skill, a certain value that they need and they'll provide you opportunity. And then also once you know what lane you belong in, right? This is, this is finding your lane and staying in it. But once you know where you belong, know where you don't belong and then network and find the people that have the skills that have the abilities you need to, to do whatever it is you're trying to do. Surround yourself with these people, create opportunity for them and they'll create an opportunity for you. You create these win-win situations and that's how magic really starts to happen. Uh, and then lastly, uh, you know, 
don't go out there and try to create something that you're not. It's so important to have clarity on who you are, what your beliefs are, what your values are, what change do you want to see in the world, and then go out and be that change. Do that thing that you think this world needs, and then you'll attract onto yourself other people who have those same values, who have those same beliefs, who want to see the same change, and they'll have the skills that you might not that you might need. And that's how these great restaurant groups start by just putting it out there. But you got to start today. You know, you got to start moving in the right direction. You got to find the people out there who have the values that you think you might have. Uh, maybe they have opportunities where your skills uh, can be applied. So. You know, just just really start getting that clarity on who you are, and then once you really know who you are, man, uh, it's, it's the people that that make really great restaurant groups in this industry. Um, they're not trying to create brands or concepts; they're just trying to do what they do. And their brand is, is an extension of who they are, and who they are is something that's really truly incredible. So just focus on becoming really truly incredible, and then tell your story, and then just just put it out there. Um, and that is the easiest way to. Not actually, I take that back. That is probably the hardest way, but it's the right way. And sometimes it's through this resistance, through the, the hard path, uh, that we become truly unstoppable. And man, I'm, I'm jacked up right now. I hope you guys are picking up on my energy. Um, and that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to make an example of these people who who get it. Uh, what are their values? What are their beliefs? What are their habits? What do they know to be true about their success? They're laying it out there for you. So you can show up every day, uh, trying to be a better version of yourself today than you were yesterday and what these people are doing for you they're setting the standard they're showing you what it takes what success looks like so you have a goal or an an aiming point at the very least and i really do believe what i said earlier in today's interview and that's that we all have the same general purpose on this planet which is to take what has been given to us by those who have come before us uh, take their knowledge take what they've figured out to be true to Start there, compound off of that, take it to the next level, and then pass it to the next generation so we can improve as one unit, one one humanity. And uh, I'm so excited for the future because it's getting so easy to, to have a voice, to share your knowledge, to... I mean, Restaurant Unstoppable is an example of that. Uh, people can have such an impact. It's so easy to share knowledge today and to lift people up. And I'm really excited for where this industry is going because I'm, I'm looking out there and I'm seeing other people starting podcasts in, in this in this field. I, like, I feel like once a month I see another person getting out there to share a message and they're good messages. Uh, so, man, um, I don't know. I'm just super excited. Uh, please share this podcast. If you guys are as jacked up as I am right now, find somebody else who uh, you think is deserving of this knowledge, who can benefit from these stories, from these examples of incredible people. Uh, if they're out there trying to chase their dreams and they could use the support, this podcast is for them. Share it. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out. <laughs>